Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, well, welcome to the latest edition of the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as usual by Drew Lerner. And uh, as we have been doing in the new version of the podcast, we're just going to jump right into the topics of the day. But before I do that, just want to remind you, if you have not done so already, you will need to resubscribe to the Sports Media Watch podcast feed. Uh, If you were subscribed previously under the previous version of the show, you will need to subscribe to the new one if you have not done so already. And uh, SMW Podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon. It's everywhere. So you should not have any trouble subscribing. All right, so let's just dive on in and we'll start with the NCAA tournament that gets underway, all things being well, in a week, both the men and the women. We're going to talk about the men first as uh, a few small changes or, well, one small change on the Turner side this year. Uh, Reggie Miller will not be returning to tournament coverage. He'll be replaced by Stan Van Gundy. You know, CBS and Turner have been doing this now for, what, 12, 13 years. And even up to now, the NBA folks are still a little bit of, you know, a bit of an intruder into the tournament, I think, for a lot of fans. Reggie, especially being as boisterous as he is, was always a bit of a controversial figure for the collegiate fan. And so I don't think there'll be too many complaints about him skipping the tournament. This is actually going to be the second time in three years that he has skipped the tournament after doing so in 2021 over COVID. Uh, And uh, he'll be replaced on that team with Kevin Harlan and Dan Bonner by Stan Van Gundy. So Stan Van Gundy, a lot of people love his analysis. We have never heard him do collegiate analysis before. So it'll be interesting to see if he's a natural with that or if uh, there's a little bit of awkwardness. Um, You know, Stan doing this reminds me a little bit of when Steve Kerr used to 
Steve Kerr was, a lot of people forget, a great TV analyst. And uh, when he would drop in on the tournament, it was, you know, it was uncanny. I mean, he was just perfect for it, did some national championships. So maybe if Stan does really well, uh, we might see him on some bigger teams down the line. But that's one change. Another one coming up this year, Ernie Johnson's going to be in Atlanta the whole time with that secondary studio team. So there won't be the handoff between Ernie and Greg in New York like we've seen. Uh, Ernie uh, will be joined by, I guess it's what, Candace Parker and company. I probably should have had that press release directly in front of me before. I yeah, probably Candace Parker. It's usually Seth Davis. I don't have a press release up either myself, but um, it's usually Candace, maybe Seth. Um, I think actually um, Wally, Wally Serbiak is the A-team now. I think last yep. year might have been his first year on there. So I'm not yeah. sure who the third. It'll actually be um, Jay Wright, believe it or not. Jay Wright. Oh, correct. Yeah. Uh, Jay Wright will Possibly. be in Atlanta with EJ, and Zerbiak will be in New okay. York, as you said. So gotcha. uh, Zerbiak, a bit of a controversial figure earlier in the year for a bad joke he told about uh, Tyrese Halliburton, right? The fake MVP mm -hmm. and, uh, or fake rookie of the year. I don't know what it was, uh, but Wally will be back in that lead spot uh, on the New York team. And that pretty much covers it. I mean, you know, this is Nance Raftery and Hill once again for, I think, what, uh, the seventh year? They've actually done this now together more than uh, Entenberg, Al McGuire, and Billy Packer uh, back on NBC. So they've been together for quite a while. Uh, not quite Nance and Billy Packer yet in terms of uh, longevity, but uh, this will, of course, be their last time doing it because Jim Nance is dropping the tournament after next year. And Ian Eagle, who will be working on the number three team this year, but Jim Spadarkle will move up to the lead. So some big changes ahead for uh, the NCAA tournament coverage on CBS and Turner. But for this year, pretty much standard issue what we've seen. All right, I'll bring you in, yeah. and uh, get to your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a lot to cover there. I think the headline, uh, Stan Van Gundy coming in for Reggie Miller. When I saw that news at first, um, as you know, more of a college basketball loyalist than an NBA loyalist myself, um, it was a bit jarring. I love... Van Gundy's coverage on NBA. Uh, I'll put that out there right now that I think he's one of the best to do it with the pro game. However, I, I'm very protective of my college basketball and having the pro guys kind of parachuting in for the tournament is something that has not really sat well with me in the past, um, but I've kind of grown accustomed to it. Um, I will say I think it makes more sense in the studio when you have a Chuck and a Shaq talking about the college game. You know, you don't have to sit there with them the entire broadcast. Uh, you just kind of get them in short doses. And, of course, that bunch is massively entertaining, so you can't really complain about that. But I do think it's it's really smart of, of the CBS or Turner team, excuse me, to, um, to pair him with Dan Bonner and Kevin Harlan. Bonner is a college guy through and through. Uh, he's, he's been at this a long time. He'll probably be able to fill in some of the knowledge gaps that Stan Van Gundy might not have paying attention to the pro game more so than the college game during the season. So I think they, they were smart to put him in a three man booth this year. Um, and you know, I hope he does well because I do enjoy his, his NBA coverage. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, it'll be, hey, he's a very talented analyst. He's very, he's a natural at it, uh, certainly. Uh, and uh, we'll see what he's able to do. It's a different kind of game 
but I think coaches have an easier time than players when it comes to the college game. Because, of course, the college game is a festival of coaching. The coaches are the stars in college, whereas in the pros, uh, well, not so much, right? Yeah, and while you can definitely you know speak to that with Jay Wright making his tournament debut this year, um, well, actually, didn't did he uh, did he make an appearance last year uh, after Villanova was? Or I can't even remember if Villanova made the I tournament think he did. last year. Yeah, so I guess maybe not technically his debut, but his post coaching debut. Right. Um, I think he's done a few things here and there during the regular season as well, but uh, this will be his first time on a big stage. Jay Wright, obviously a legendary college coach, so he'll um, he'll he'll be great great to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he always seemed pretty solid in his appearances. You know, all these college coaches, they are big hams. They love the attention. They love the spotlight. They love the camera. And uh, you know, there's some issues with that, honestly, in some ways. But when it comes to TV, it means that they're usually pretty good at that. So uh, that's all stuff to look forward to for the men's tournament. Uh, women's tournament, of course, the big change there is that ABC will be carrying the national championship game, so uh, that will be a big deal. Uh, one of, I think, let's see, I think two women's national championships that will be on ABC in the next month with college gymnastics uh, coming up next month as well. Uh, so uh, some greater exposure for the women's game, although, to be completely honest, uh, the women's game does well enough that I don't necessarily know that being on ABC in the afternoon will be dramatically better than being on ESPN in prime time. So, uh, we'll see. One thing uh, that that's always interesting to me with the women's game or the women's tournament specifically is the decision to kind of directly compete with the men's tournament playing on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday with the men playing Thursday to Sunday, of course. I always wondered why they wouldn't take advantage of those three days where the men are not playing. Not necessarily because, you know, the women's product is inferior in any way. I love watching women's basketball and many people also do. But to me, there's there's got to be some overlap in fans that like the men's game and also like the women's game that would be given more of an opportunity if the women might have played, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, for example, rather than, you know, the three day overlap that they get with the men. Well, there's going to be overlap anyway, because that Thursday would be overlapping with the men. I, I yeah. think, you know, you got to you got to factor in weekends. You want to be playing on a weekend, especially when you've got for those first two rounds, so many different games. You don't want to be playing at two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. Baseball can get away with that, but not so much college basketball. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, you, you don't want to give up the weekend. And uh, ultimately, I think there's enough viewership for everybody. Like, I mean, let's let's be real. Uh, the women's tournament has its fan base and, you know, you can watch the women's game and then switch to a men's game and so on and so forth. When, when all is said and done for the women's game, it's good to have a little bit of a lower expectation because the reality is the women's tournament is far less for draw than the men's, but it does well enough to justify the exposure it gets. So it doesn't need to be on par with the men's tournament to be successful. Uh, the audience that it gets, even at a fraction of what the men's tournament gets, if you're ESPN, you're not getting that for anything else this time of year. Uh, and so I, I think they're fine where they are. I don't, I don't think they need to. People suggest like moving it a week ahead or something. Mm -hmm. I, now, that's what they do with championship week, right? Most yeah. of the major women's tournaments have already been completed. But, um, you know, I, I think... Things are fine as they are right now. Um, and the women's tournament, again, there's 
the audience for college basketball in March is such that you can be way below the men's tournament and still doing very well. And I think that's where the women's tournament is in terms of viewership. That all makes sense. And there's certainly plenty of great storylines for the women this year. So I am eager to see what those numbers are and, and how they compare to previous years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm thinking that national championship is going to be very interesting because again, I don't know that Sunday afternoon on ABC is better than primetime on ESPN. But then again, Sunday afternoon, you can go ask the NFL, 425 mm-hmm. is their best window. And these past couple of weeks, as a segue here, the NBA in that 3 o'clock window, that 3.30 window on ABC has drawn a couple of its best audiences of the season, including 3.9 million, nearly 4 million for Warriors-Lakers this past Sunday, uh, one of the top audiences all year long. Yeah, and definitely. Be, before we get to, to NBA ratings, just real quick on the women's game, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the the championship game has always been played on a Sunday afternoon, correct? It's just been on ESPN. No. So last year was in prime time because of the baseball lockout. Oh, so yes, I remember the, that. The previous few yeah. years, it was at uh, six o'clock. So that's okay. evening. You know, it's not quite prime time, but it ends in prime time. And then, of course, before that, it was on the Tuesday night, which mm-hmm. they were very smart to move it out of that Tuesday night. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, so this year will actually be the earliest start for the women's title game in a long time, probably since 1995. All right. Well, that will be very interesting to see. Uh, let's move on to those NBA ratings, as you alluded to just a moment ago. 3.9 million for Warriors Lakers yeah. on Sunday afternoon. Tell us about that number. The, the Lakers continue to be the ratings darling of the NBA. Yeah. Um, what What's the rest of the season outlook wise for the uh, for NBA ratings? Well, I mean, a lot of it, uh, you know, the NBA is in a very interesting spot because there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff on paper. Um, the Lakers have played in seven of the 12 most watched games this season more than any other team. They are 31 and 34. That's not a very good record, but last year they were 29 and 40. So they're dramatically improved. I mean, you know, uh, but uh, look, I I think if they can get to the play in and get to the playoffs, that'd be a big deal. You get the Lakers in there. That's a big deal. They're your biggest draw. People like to complain about LeBron, complain about the Lakers. They have been the biggest draw in the league so far this season. You want them in there. Obviously, Golden State, you got to keep Steph Curry healthy. Uh, if you get Golden State Phoenix in the first round, I mean, that's a massive draw. Durant versus his old team. That could be one of the most watched first round series of all time. Uh, if you were to have Phoenix and Golden State in one series, maybe the Lakers and Memphis in another, depending on John Morant's availability, uh, that could be interesting. Uh, certainly the Knicks, you know, their winning streak is starting to get some attention. Their game against the Celtics, a double overtime win, was the most watched game on ESPN all season. Uh, And that includes Christmas with the caveat, of course, that the ESPN portion of those Christmas audiences was very small because those games were also on ABC. But it was the most watched game on ESPN all year. If the Knicks make a deep run, if the Knicks even just make the second round, you know, uh, that'll be a big deal. So there's a lot of high potential for this NBA playoffs this year between the Lakers, if they get in, the Knicks, if they make a deep run, the Suns, obviously with Durant, the Warriors, if they can stick around. You know, that it seems to me like even though, you know, I've said on this podcast, the NBA is not really in the greatest shape it's ever been in. But, you know, since that point, the last couple of weekends have had really entertaining games. 
Uh, I think there's a lot of folks who have watched the game for a long time and look at the current defense and think, what is going on here, right? I mean, this is absurd. Even just last night, what was it, 147 to 143 Sixers Pacers? Uh, you know, I mean, certainly it sure seems like the NBA isn't in great shape. It, it sure feels like it isn't. But then you sit down and watch the games and the games are entertaining, national TV games that are entertaining. And you've got all of these storylines that if they come to fruition, you could be looking at one of the better playoffs that we've seen from a ratings perspective in, in some time. Of course, if it all ends with Denver playing Milwaukee in the finals, then, you know, then we'll have a different narrative, right? And uh, frankly, based on last year's ratings between the Celtics and Warriors, even a great matchup on paper will probably not draw the way that we've seen in the past. So it's tough to gauge with the NBA, um, but these past couple of weekends have been great for the league. Very strong ratings. All four games on Sunday up double digits from the same windows last year. All good stuff. And, you know, I think a lot a lot of headlines have clearly been generated around that trade deadline blockbuster of Kevin Durant going to Phoenix. Have we seen the Suns in a nationally televised window yep. since Durant has played? What was that number? And, and um, can we expect the Suns to be a bit of a ratings darling for the NBA to close out the season? Well, the Suns did play against Dallas in the first game of that ABC doubleheader, and that was the first game they played with Durant on national TV. 1.6 rating, 2.8 million viewers. That's a 1 o'clock Eastern game. So in Phoenix, it was 10 a.m., and that's up double digits from last year, which was Celtics-Nets. Uh, so, uh, And I think that was the most watched 1 o'clock game on ABC or any network since 2000 and I guess 15. There's a big caveat there. Starting in 2016, ABC basically abandoned Sunday doubleheaders. So there's not a lot of sample size there, but uh, certainly a very strong number for that window. The Suns, Kevin Durant is a huge draw. He immediately makes the Suns a big draw. Nobody really cared about the Phoenix Suns, if we're being completely honest, before this trade. They made the finals in 2021, and even with the July caveat, it just did not draw very well. I mean, again, it was July. But those numbers for that 21 finals were way closer to 2020 in the bubble opposite the NFL than they were to anything normal. So the Suns, they're not a great draw without Kevin Durant, but now they have Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant, whatever you may think of him in terms of his you know, social media usage, his team hopping, et cetera, et cetera, he is one of the great players in the history of the game, and he is extremely popular. So the Suns immediately become a immediately become a glamour team in a way that they were not before this trade was made. Uh, and so, yeah. yeah, you're definitely right about that. I mean, speaking as someone who generally doesn't tune into the NBA until around playoff time, um, the Suns are at the top of my list of teams that I want to see. I've wanted you know Chris Paul to get a ring for quite a while now. Maybe that's not a popular opinion amongst most NBA fans, but I I like Chris Paul a lot. So. Putting Kevin Durant and surrounding him with Paul, Booker, DeAndre Ayton, that's really an intriguing team for me as a casual to want to watch. Um, and maybe that maybe other people feel that way and uh, we'll see see that borne out in the ratings. Yeah. You know, this is a very interesting stretch for the NBA, the final month of play. It's going to disappear off the radar because of college basketball. And then people will start to notice it again the week before the playoffs start. It's the dog days of the season, but uh, things seem to be ramping up this year with how close everything is. You might see some better numbers for this stretch than you usually would uh, for the NBA this time of year. Um, you want to cover any other ratings stories uh, from the past week? 
Yeah, I have actually not had a chance to really sit down and dig into the XFL's numbers, but something very interesting did happen today. ESPN has moved three XFL games to different networks uh, for the, like the next month. Uh, two FX games have been moved to ESPN or ESPN2. One ESPN game has been moved to ABC. I think there's an understanding right now that FX really is not technically part of the ESPN family of networks, right? I think there's a lot of people who probably still think FX is part of Fox. Uh, it's weird to have games on FX. There's no other ESPN sports programming on FX. This is kind of like when the baseball playoffs were on ABC Family and they all carried the ESPN uh, logo. Um, you know, the fact is the XFL needs to be on regular TV. That was why the first XFL did so well. And uh, so um, this past weekend of the XFL, the most watched game was 665,000 viewers on FX. Uh, FX had a Sunday doubleheader and three of the four games. Uh, these are just not the kind of numbers that the old XFL was getting, partially because the old XFL was on broadcast TV. So Yeah. yeah. Um, well, putting these games on FX in the first place seemed to be a strange decision. I mean, to me, that just screamed that maybe ESPN already had such a jam-packed scheduling inventory that they couldn't find room for it. They needed some right. sort of overflow channel, but clearly, I mean, that doesn't seem to be the case if they're moving games onto ESPN, ESPN2, ABC. Right. Where, where do they find this room? Are they pushing other properties to the side and trying to make this work? What, how does that happen? Well, the, the ESPN game, this was originally FX at 9 o'clock coming up a week from Thursday. Now it'll be 10.30 on ESPN. So obviously 10.30, they're not airing a Thursday doubleheader in the yeah. NBA or anything. They probably had that free. The ABC game will be Saturday, March 25th, Elite Eight Saturday. They didn't have anything scheduled for that day. I think maybe a primetime NHL game, which wouldn't affect the afternoon hours. And then the uh, Monday game, March 27th, Will, has moved from FX to ESPN2. Uh, that's Elite Eight Monday in the women's game. Those games would be on ESPN. I don't know what ESPN2 was going to air, probably just reruns. So uh, not a lot of harm done here uh, in terms of finding those extra windows. Gotcha. I think, you know, I, I love the idea of more games on ABC, just generally. Uh, I'd love to see some of these ESPN Plus events. That, uh, I mean, granted, ESPN wants you to subscribe to ESPN Plus, but... You think about some of these weekends coming up where there won't be any NBA because of the tournament. You've got to put some, you know, put some of those other sports you've got on ABC. I mean, you know, test it out. Uh, I, I'm I'm bullish on uh, just about everything. You know, let, let's. I mean, and I'll give them credit; they've been putting a lot more stuff on ABC of late. But I, I would really intensify that. Uh, I'm not yeah. even sure. Is the NIT still in existence? Is yeah. This... Yes, the NIT does still exist. Um... I couldn't tell you how it's done ratings wise in the in the past several years, but I know um, ever since they started giving automatic bids to um, regular season conference winners that do not win their conference championship game, um, while that's probably great in terms of being a bit more of a meritocracy, um, you know that means that a lot a lot more smaller colleges are getting into that tournament right so yeah you have less intrigue with the, the bigger schools that just missed out on a on the tournament i have to correct myself here i said before that abc wasn't airing anything on saturday march 25th they're scheduled to air a regional semifinal in the women's game at two o'clock that day the xfl game is at one o'clock so something's got to give there there's no way in the world that ESPN would bump the women's tournament from one of its few ABC windows entirely 
I'm assuming that they that maybe ABC will hear the four o'clock women's tournament game that day instead of the two o'clock. Uh, I don't know, but they'll they'll have to do something there because there's there's no way they're bumping the women. It's just in terms of the uh, PR aspect would be yeah that, that that would be a disaster and I mean I guess that kind of begs the question what what's the better lead in there would you rather have the women's tournament lead into the XFL or vice versa right yeah uh, I'm very tempted, interesting I'm tempted to wonder if they have an NHL game scheduled for that night on ABC let me see here they do Capitals Penguins at eight o'clock so they're not airing the women in prime time. I'm assuming then that they would have the four o'clock window for the women that day. And I'll just quickly check on ESPN's media site. And uh, I don't see anything listed for that afternoon anymore. So maybe, maybe they've completely dropped a women's tournament game to accommodate the XFL. Boy, I don't know. I don't know if I like those optics. Uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure ESPN PR would like you bringing that up either, but uh, yeah. I'm sure that someone will if... Uh... If that is, in fact, the case, well, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, yeah very interesting stuff. All right. Uh, so uh, anything else in terms of ratings would probably just have to be motorsports this week. I mean, you brought up the PGA Tour before. They're doing okay. Uh, another good week for them. But uh, this was the first big week of motorsports. All three of the major series, F1, IndyCar, and NASCAR in action. All three of them down. But F1 did score its fifth largest cable audience ever and second largest audience at Bahrain for its opener. So that's a good number for them, even though it was down from last year's all-time record for Bahrain. Uh, IndyCar was down. I don't know where it ranks uh, historically for that race, but given that St. Petersburg has aired on broadcast TV for most of its history, uh, you know, maybe a little less likely to see a record there. Uh, but that audience was uh, 1.19 million. Again, not really sure without looking into it where that ranks historically. And then NASCAR at Vegas, just shy of 4 million. That was a log jam in the middle of the afternoon on Sunday. NASCAR won out with 3.99 million, but the NBA was right there at 3.95, and the PGA Tour was at 3.26. I will say if you're NASCAR, you beat Golden State versus the Lakers head-to-head. That's pretty good. At the same time, NASCAR usually beats the NBA by a heck of a lot more than that during the regular season. And it's kind of weird the way the narratives work. Everyone always expects the NBA to beat NASCAR because we know the NBA is more popular. But if you ever actually follow the ratings, and this is going back to when NBC had the rights to the NBA, on any given Sunday in the regular season, NASCAR is beating the NBA. And for 20 years, right? Like there were days when Michael Jordan was playing for the Wizards and NASCAR was still winning that head-to-head. So that's an uncomfortably close winning margin for NASCAR. And of course, the NBA won dominatingly in the uh, in the demos. In fact, uh, to bring it back to the NBA, highest rated show of the weekend in all the key demos. ABC's primetime shows did not touch uh, Warriors Lakers, neither did Saturday Night Live uh, either. So uh, the NBA on ABC, 3.30 p.m., the number one show on all of two, not all of TV. Uh, let me see here. What is this thing, The Last of Us? Where does that air? Um, I believe is that is that that's an HBO show, yeah, right? That's HBO. That, that sounds so, like their prestige Sunday night yeah, show. So yeah. I don't know where they're getting these numbers. HBO, I saw like a headline that like 8.1 million viewers watched The Last of Us, which I, I think huge. that includes their um, yeah. streaming numbers. Exactly. Yeah. Because with 8.1 million demographically, you're probably going to get pretty good numbers. Mm-hmm. But then I look on Showbuzz, and the linear audience was one million. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what uh, what HBO's doing, but 
uh, certainly, I'm assuming that uh, that uh, the NBA's demographic win uh, there is will hold because ultimately, I really don't know where HBO is getting eight million from. They're doing some kind of fun math, I think. Yeah, probably. Well, all good stuff on the ratings front, John. Let's do a few quick hitters to close this out. Um, pretty interesting story or report coming out of Fox Business and Front Office Sports. Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, of course, rumored to be among the potential candidates to replace Bob Iger as Disney's CEO. What, what's your take on that? Do you think Silver would be a good fit for the job? And is, is this actually going to happen? Well, you know, I think it'll be very interesting because, you know, Silver's tenure with the NBA, I think he's kind of run, run his course a little bit. So Adam Silver has been the commissioner of the NBA since 2014. David Stern started in 1984. At the same point in David Stern's run as commissioner, it was 1993. Pretty darn good time to be the commissioner of the NBA. Yes, Jordan would eventually retire, but the fact of the matter is, in March of 1993, Jordan, you know, two-time defending champion, on route to a third straight ring. The league is as popular as ever, has a fantastic relationship with NBC, is at the top of the cultural pie. Well, no, the top of the pie. That's not really an accurate, whatever. You know what I mean? It's the <laughs> top of the mountain, right? And uh, that was a, a great time for the league. Probably, you would argue, maybe 93 was the peak. I mean, if you wanted to say 95 or 96, you know, but uh, certainly one of those years in the mid-90s. That's when, that's when Stern was at the point that Silver is now. And Stern was a superstar. Silver, on the other hand, you know, there's just lots of complaints about the state of the game. A lot of, a lot of complaining about the... Uh, officiating Scott Foster was some more nonsense yesterday. The league should probably consider suspending him for the playoffs for that nonsense yesterday, uh, where he threw out Scotty Barnes on one technical foul late in the game because Barnes, I guess, disrespected you know the integrity of the officials. I mean, that's nonsense. Um, and uh, you know, it, it certainly seems you know, who was it? Uh, Tony Kornheiser would often joke if the NBA had a living, breathing commissioner. It does seem like Adam Silver is not that great of a commissioner. Now, does that mean that the NBA would be better with Mark Tatum as a commissioner? I don't think Mark Tatum is ready, right? You know, I mean, I don't know. It almost feels like if Adam Silver were to leave, the NBA would be in trouble. Because as much as people dislike Silver, it's not like there's anyone behind him who is that different. Uh, and Silver, at the very least, you know, was kind of under David Stern there for a long time. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, would it be good for Disney is also an interesting question. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, honestly, it, it feels it was just a few years ago where it feels like Adam Silver was kind of on top of the world, making the NBA happen in a bubble scenario during in the middle of a pandemic. Right. And everyone was praising him at that point. Um, well, not really. I mean, that was also the year with the China stuff and, you know, true. I mean, I think ultimately Silver peaked in terms of public perception when he said for life with that flourish and banished Donald Sterling, one of the really more unimpressive accomplishments in terms of we all knew that he had to get rid of Donald Sterling. He got a lot of credit for doing the only thing he had any choice to do. Um, you know, I mean, it is what it is. I think he's a little he's got a little bit of that Tony Romo element where everyone was in love and in thrall and then uh then they realized that there wasn't as much there there as everybody thought. And with Silver, I wonder how much of a there there is there with him. I mean, he's 
he seems almost like an absentee commissioner at times. Um, now, is he better than Rob Manfred? Well, of course. Is he better than Gary Bettman? I'm actually not 100% sure. Bettman at this point has been there for so long. He's the dean of the commissioners. Uh, maybe, maybe Bettman's ahead. That's kind of a crazy thought. And then, of course, Goodell, who is a survivor, uh, whether he should be or not, he has survived he survived Trump. He survived his own, uh, you know, stumbling response to concussions and Ray Rice. And, you know, doesn't, hey, you can be a survivor and not necessarily be good. But, you know, he is a survivor. Give him credit for that. But uh, the interesting yeah. aspect to me is, you know, I mean, it's kind of like Iger is the David Stern of Disney, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good comparison. I, I don't know that anyone following him, I think it'll probably be. Worse following Iger than following David Stern. Yeah, it's interesting to me. Disney uh, just as a business seems like they'd be more likely to hire within their own ranks yeah. rather than seek well, somebody. They tried that. They yeah, tried they did. That. <laughs> and now they no longer have the Reedy Creek. What what is it? Reedy Creek distribution or whatever the district. Yeah, that whole thing was insane. I mean, beyond the fact of you know uh, a a pro business administration supposedly you know, pulling rank on Disney that way. It was actually ridiculous that Disney had any of the rights that it had to begin with. Like, that was absurd. I can't believe they had the right to create their own nuclear power plant. And that should never have happened. They got rid of it for the wrong reasons, but man, that, that should never have been the case. But anyway, uh, I, I definitely think the Chappic experience might make them more likely to go out of house rather than in-house. Definitely. Well, that will be an interesting story to follow as well. Um, for me, that came out of left field, so I, I will certainly be be following that one closely. All right, John, um, we've gone about you know 35, 36 minutes at this point. You want to wrap it up? Yeah, I mean, I figure uh, you know we've pretty much covered as much as as there is. There's probably a few other things. To oh, oh yeah, um, I know you wanted to talk about um, Dave Willis. Uh, yeah, let's say a few words about him. Well, yes. I mean, I'm not as familiar with Dave Wills, uh, but, you know, I just wanted to note his passing. Uh, it was a shock to a lot of people over the weekend. The Tampa Bay Rays announcer called a game on Saturday and passed away, uh, you know, and uh, people have these tremendous relationships with play-by-play -play folks over the years and, and listening to, to these people who are the soundtrack of every summer or fall, depending on the sport. And so I just wanted to point to to make a point to, uh, of noting his passing before we went off the air today. And, um, you know, uh, it's always unfortunate when something like that happens, especially at such a young age as 58 years old. And he was uh, uh, certainly very beloved in the Tampa Bay area. Yeah, baseball always seems to have that closer connection with their you know local announcers than most sports. So very unfortunate news to see there. All right, now you can officially close this out. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything else. You know, you don't want to stay on the air much longer than you have to. You don't want to ramble, so I'm just going to cut it short, right? If we missed anything, we'll cover it next week, right? Uh, I do believe we should have our special guest finally lined up for next week. So, uh, you know, come back for that. Last time I teased the guest, uh, we came back the next week and technical problems doomed it. Hopefully that won't happen this time around. Uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. And don't forget to subscribe again if you have not already. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much everywhere you get podcasts. The Sports Media Watch podcast is available. We'll see you all back here next week for 
uh, Selection Sunday. We'll be reacting to that and getting ready for the NCAA tournament. Other than that, have a great week ahead. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.